0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Path of Me. I'm your host, Wendy Hutchinson, and I have the lovely Melissa McLeod in the house all the way from London. So I am so excited to have you, Melissa. Thank you for joining me. Welcome. Thank you, Wendy. Cheerio. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about um, what you're doing these days. You've been on the show a couple times. I know you've been a nutrition coach, health and wellness. Um, you're so inspirational. You've written two books and, uh, I'm going to let you tell me what you've been up to lately.
1: As I talk, I will tell myself what I've been up to lately because I'm still verbalizing what it is. You know, I haven't even finished my 2022 goals because I'm still like figuring out where I want to take this like next chapter of my life. But I just had my my 18th anniversary with Herbalife. I've been with Herbalife now for 18 years as a network marketer. So I primarily support women who have health and fitness goals. And 90% of my clients are interested in fat loss. Today, I just launched the three alarm chili challenge where I'm working with um, women who are locking arms with me to get in the best shape possible. So that's been a big part of my life for the last 18 years and, um, still very much part of my, my entrepreneur story. And I love coaching since, um, I was on your show. I got certified through let your leadership, which is an incredible foundation that, um, oh my gosh, you would love it. They have just an intuitive approach to coaching and I wanted to get better at supporting my clients and I love Herbalife. I love the nutrition space. I myself lost 25 pounds in 11 weeks. That was life-changing for me in my twenties after being a yo-yo dieter for several years. And I think when you figure out that, when many women who struggle with their weight, figure out that part of their life, everything else just flows so much more easily. And I've been doing it for so long that I was looking for a switch. Yeah. And so the coaching with just in the nutrition container with the food and the macros and then why are we overeating or why are we undereating? And why are we eating things that we know don't support us, even though we have these big goals and these big reasons why we want them? Why are we, you know, that is like one part of coaching? And I was looking for doing coaching in a different manner. And um, because you know me so well, you know how much I love goals, going for goals. Yes, and, I
0: do, um, and you hit and all of so them,
1: which is so not funny. not all of them,
0: although most I'm, of I'm them,
1: sure that. <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah, and that's just really fun for me. And uh, the women I'm associated with are women like myself. We're moms. Most of us are stay at home moms. I I totally consider myself a stay at home mom, even though I have a business. Um, there are women I meet through the kid's school or my neighborhood, etc. And I find that a lot of women don't have goals that are like me. They aren't up to other things. And I find that when you're up to stuff, your life is so much more exciting and
0: fun. And well, it's like you're engaged out. in living life, right? Exactly. Instead of just going through the motions, marking time, kind of dissatisfied, and you know, you need something, something, but you're not really sure what that something is. And uh, I think there are millions of women out there who could relate to this story, or even men who are locked into in a,
1: routine rut. In
0: a rut that they're, they feel trapped in and don't, mm-hmm. they know they want to change, but they don't know how. So this sounds like it aligns perfectly with that, you know, that filling that need.
1: That's where I'm going. Yeah. So I've been I've calling myself a goal goal coach these days. And um I'm building a new uh email list through a, a little ebook I wrote called Melissa's Little Guide to Big Ass Goals. And so now I've got um a little, um, I hate the word hustle. It's not a side hustle, but let's just say another coach offering with fulfilling goals. So it's almost like I'm your accountability with goals. And my vision for that part of the business is to do a coaching container with groups of women that want to pursue goals together and that's what I've got going on right now. But yeah, the book I did last year, that was like a big goal, writing a book and I am still riding a high from that goal. I published the book over a month ago and it's like, I'm still so impressed every day that I wrote a look oh, you. Life and I know her, you did it too. You're, you're <laughs> an author too. So I know how accomplished you feel.
0: It's really exciting when Crazy. you actually get that first copy wow. in your hands that you wow. have, you know, birthed through blood, sweat and tears. And um, I just want to congratulate you on Life Abroad. I, you know, the sign for me of a good book is that when it ends, you want more. Oh. And I, I literally got to the last page of the book and I was like, I didn't want this to end. It was, oh. it was such a great book. Tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write life abroad. Um, and you know, just tell our viewers what it's about.
1: Oh last time I was on your show, I remember Recording from Sri Lanka. I was living in Sri Lanka with my family. We were there for about two and a half years. We moved in 2018. It fulfilled a huge dream I had, a big ass goal I had to live abroad. <laughs> and I wanted adventure and I got exactly what I wanted. Oh, I had a complete in living in Sri Lanka <laughs> many times over. More than I ever could have, ever could have planned myself. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want my kids to forget about this experience. My daughter, Caitlin was seven when we moved. So she'll have a lot of memories from Sri Lanka. My son was four. And even now we talk about things that he doesn't remember happened there. So I wanted to capture the experience for my kids. And I started writing a bunch of essays last year about different snapshots of our life there, like the school system, what that was like for my kids to go from, um, particularly my daughter being in grade school in the United States, and then having to go into the British school system in Sri Lanka, they were a British colony. So they have the British school there. So I wrote all these essays and then it was enough to compile a book. And then I thought, instead of giving it to my kids, how about I just publish it myself Yeah. and then whoever's interested can read it. And so I self-published it on Amazon last year and my goal was to give it to them for Christmas. And I, held the book in my hand before Christmas. So I was able to to give it to them.
0: I love it. Really exciting. I love Mm -hmm. it. For anybody who lives abroad or is thinking about living abroad, this is such a great book. Life Abroad is such a great snapshot of all of the things that you went through Which I would say your level of difficulty was extreme because you survived terrorist attacks, literally right down the street in Sri Lanka from where you were staying, Um, pandemic where they take it seriously. I mean, you were under martial law, couldn't leave your house for, I don't, you couldn't leave your home for, I don't know how long, it was a long time.
1: When I tell that to people, they go, I know we we were on lockdown too. I'm like, no, you weren't. You, you don't know what locked we friends for any reason, not even for food. People are like, how? I'm like,
0: you gotta read the book. <laughs> I know. How do you survive? I mean, yeah. that I wanna ask you something about that. How <laughs> did you how did you deal? Like, I know for me, feeding my family is such a big thing. Like food is my love language. When we have um, weather emergencies and, you know, hurricane warnings and things like that, I am all about the food and it's very yeah. uncomfortable for me. We had snowmageddon, you know, last year, last February, <laughs> where literally everything shut down. Um, the The pipes froze and I went mm-hmm. to the grocery store and there was no food. Yeah. And there was this feeling of extreme discomfort (laughs) and dread because literally we had no food because we ran out because it went longer than I thought it was. And Mm. there was actually no food (laughs) to buy. So it it put me into a real feeling of discomfort. And I was wondering how you managed to figure out, how did you know, okay, they're going to bring food trucks or something? I mean, were you Emailed something, or did you just have a network of friends who were kind of piecemealing how we're going to navigate this together? Like, how did you do it?
1: Yeah, I didn't know how it was going to happen. And we didn't know it was going to be three months. So I didn't think I was going to need food for three months. We thought we were going on lockdown for a week. So, pretty much everyone has enough food in their house to survive for a week. You can get by on a week. Exactly so in conversations with the other people in our apartment building we lived with a lot of sri lankans and then there were sri lankan staff in the apartment building and i wrote this in the book one of them commented to me that oh well everyone knows you have a month of food on hand at all times i didn't know that i never <laughs> <heard> you? that. <laughs> you're like really that's normal that was not covered in my cultural immersion training before we moved to sri lanka but sri lankans know that they know that in times of crisis, you got to have food on hand. So I learned that. And then after that we had food on hand, but I didn't know that going into it. And in, so agriculture is huge in Sri Lanka. And for people that don't know, it's an Island. So a lot of the stuff is made there. It's grown there. Like the eggs are from there and mm-hmm. you know, not, not certainly things are imported, but there's a lot of agriculture, agriculture there. It's a tropical Island. So I lived in an apartment building and the government was sending trucks around that had essentials like rice, soap, things like that. And so when a truck came, everyone in our apartment building was notified through a WhatsApp thread, WhatsApp, social media, it's a chatting service, huge outside of the United States. Everyone is on WhatsApp, even here in the United Kingdom, everyone is on WhatsApp. It's like how information is transmitted. (laughs) And everyone in my apartment building is on the same WhatsApp thread. So when a truck came, someone put it in WhatsApp and then we all ran downstairs to get in line to wait for our turn to buy whatever they were selling. There's no options. You're just buying what they're selling. Right. There, there's one bag of dry essentials and you're buying it, even if you don't need
0: everything in the bag. And then- so it was already prepackaged. You couldn't mm-hmm. go, I need rice or I need toilet paper. Yeah. It's like- Not you can't in wait the beginning.
1: And then things started diversifying. So as lockdown continued, their farmers were getting, I, I guess it was the farmers that were distributing it. I don't know, but people were getting passes to drive around or permits to drive around and sell goods from their trolleys, from the trucks. And so then you'd have a produce truck come and then you could get fruits and vegetables. And then uh, um, a fish truck would come. Like, you wanna, smell an intense smell, the smell of a Sri Lankan fish truck coming into your house. It's been driving around. Well, I all mean day. I
0: guess you have to get it because comes. Food, yeah. You so you buy it. But then a chicken were you truck nervous? Comes. Like is this Very truck is this stuff bad? I mean is it is it going bad? It's been in a, a truck all day in Sri right. Lanka driving.
1: By then we'd been living in a developing country for two years and nothing made me nervous. <laughs> so, okay. I remember one day I'm at a we're at a um, a Chinese restaurant with my family. My kids love dumplings, of course, because they're amazing. We're eating dumplings at a restaurant. And I'm looking at the wall next to me at this restaurant, and there's all these bugs climbing up the wall, like a trail of ants climbing up this wall. And I thought, nothing of it. I just got eating. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> you just, you don't, you're not phased by that stuff anymore. So stuff like health measures that like you're buying eggs that are just sitting out. things aren't refrigerated when you go to a wet market, you know? So no, Mm -hmm. you're not
0: worried about the fish truck. There's
1: flies buzzing around and you're like picking out (laughs) what fish you want.
0: (laughs) That's just your way of life. I want to ask you, how has this experience broadened your perspective and what has shifted the most from going through all of these experiences, which were life-changing? I mean, surviving a terrorist bombing is not an everyday occurrence for most people. So, I mean, what have you learned about yourself and how have you changed from that <sighs> Sri Lankan experience?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. I mean, that's why I went, was to broaden our experience. I wanted my kids to see how the world lives. I didn't want my kids to only see their snapshot of affluent America, suburbia. I wanted them to know and I went for them and I mean, I got so much, so much out of it just for me. Um, ah, I wrote in the book, how easy it is for me now to connect with other human beings, because you don't need to have a lot in common with someone when you're a human being on planet earth. That's enough. Mm-hmm. We're all the same. Everyone right. wants to be comfortable. Everyone wants to have loving relationships. Everyone wants to give back in some way. It's like, we're all the same. We're not, you know, everywhere we look now, especially now and the networks are telling us about division and they're separating us and it's us versus them. And they're the bad guys. And we're the, it's like, there's so much divisiveness and we're all the same. We want it. Maybe we're going about it in a different way, but we all want the same thing. And living in Sri Lanka and interacting with Sri Lankans who are definitely a world apart and seeing that we're all the same. You know what's hard too, is that was
0: a caste system. It still is, there's still a caste system. So it's a very different perception of humanity. There's definitely levels that that you are labeled in whether you're a driver or a housekeeper or there's definitely a status that you each fall in category Mm -hmm. and you don't really i would think blur lines Mm -hmm. you know there's the you're the boss and then you have the help right Mm -hmm. and i you know we don't have that here as much, it's not as prevalent in our day to day life in the United States, right? And you are so loving and outgoing. Yeah. And I'm sure your staff there was a little surprised by how warm and welcoming you are like you don't treat them like they're slaves to you or something, right? That must have yeah. been really yeah. um, eye opening for them,
1: yeah. So, Sri Lankans a lot of them work in domestic help drivers, cooks, maids, nannies, et cetera. And they love working for foreigners for that reason, because we're, we treat them way better. And I don't know all the ins and outs of the Sri Lankan caste system. I know very, very little about it, but there's definitely a hierarchy. And that's part of Asian cultural in general is there's a hierarchy that's very much respected. Mm-hmm. So like even my driver felt like for lack of a better word, he was better than my maid because he had a better job. Mm. And, um, so the way they interacted there was this hierarchy among the staff, but I did not want to participate in that, um, beyond just hiring them. Everyone, you know, I treated them the same and I asked him to do a few things for my maid that he did because he worked for me, but he certainly wasn't happy about it because <laughs> It wasn't, he didn't think it was in his job. Didn't you ask
0: him to drive her home or something once or yeah. something and he was not happy? Yeah.
1: Right. He wasn't happy because he would drive like his employees in the back seat of his car. And so when I asked him to take my maid somewhere, you know, he'd have her right up front, but he did not like, it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I
0: don't work for you.
1: Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I should be sitting outside chatting with all the other drivers while Madam is doesn't need me, not driving you around. <laughs> right. So stuff like that. But
0: uh, I mean what was, an,
1: I, experience. Anyways, what an experience. It was, was quite an experience. It was quite
0: an not experience. only that, but it really forced adaptability on the kids. And kids, I think, are more way more adaptable than we are because they're younger and they don't have, you know, decades of programming and right all that to, to unpack. But um, I remember one part of your book where you're talking about the kids going to interview for school. Mm-hmm. And you're like, just have fun, be yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they just want to get to know you. Yeah, all the momisms. Yeah.
1: So getting into school there, it felt like I was applying to college. It was so rigorous. And they're, so Sri Lanka was a British colony. The British came in, they established the British school system. So the British school system there is just like here. Kids take the same exams. The, they don't call them the O-levels and the A-levels anymore. There's different acronyms for them, but it's just like that. And they're very academically focused. Kindergarten isn't called kindergarten. It's called year one, and it's a full school day. And there's no other way to say it. They're very academic. And so my daughter was in the second grade when we moved seven years old, coming from a California public school. And she goes into what they call year three. And back in California, she'd done addition and subtraction going into her new year three classroom. Those kids knew all their multiplication tables. Those kids wrote the most picture perfect cursive you've ever seen. I don't even think they teach that anymore at our old school in California. <laughs> oh my and it was uh, a whole, she was failing every spelling test. She <laughs> it
0: was taking, mean, it was so challenging. She must've been so taking a hit much like harder. socially, she's trying to make friends. I mean, academically, she's failing, which, you know, that, that defeats your soul. Every every test coming back and you've gotten everything wrong or it's not neat enough or whatever it is. I mean, how how did you guys navigate that? That's so challenging. It was really
1: hard. In fact, the only reason we got into she went to that school because we didn't get into the other one. She didn't pass the exams to get into the other schools, or there wasn't space at one, but of the four schools I applied to, this was the only one that would take her. (laughs) And It was hard. It was really hard. And there were a lot of tears and I kept going back to, I wanted an adventure. This is what I asked for. I would tell myself when I was thinking, did I do the wrong thing? I can't believe I moved my family. I can't believe I'm putting them through this. And I thought I asked for this. This is what I asked for. I don't want my kid to have a challenge when she's 17 for the first time. I wanted her to have it. When she was seven, I wanted her to a
0: struggle. And have a foundation, foundation, right? If you don't struggle, if you never know adversity, then you don't have the tools to overcome adversity.
1: Yeah. I want it to be challenged. I want it to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be easy street. We're not supposed to be great at everything. I wanted it to be hard. And it it was hard. It was was. hard. I got what I asked for. Yeah. But, you know, she rose to the challenge and she was a novelty because she started the class in the middle of October when no other new kids were starting. And she looked so different and she was like a novelty. So kids were like, what's this little girl all about? This new white girl in our class, you know? So there was like an appeal there where people were excited to talk to her and meet her and even touch her. And she went to a school that was English instruction. So she didn't need to learn the local language, although Thank it was a, a class at the school, but Um, that's how all those public, excuse me, private schools are. They are English instruction. So I wasn't worried about the language barrier. Um, although that would have been a hell of a ride, but anyway, didn't have to worry about that, but she caught up and we were doing flashcards and she caught up. I would say in two months, she caught up. These kids are so so proud of her,
0: so proud of her, like, oh my gosh.
1: And let me tell you, she has the most beautiful, (laughs) the most beautiful cursive. (laughs) So beautiful. So beautiful. And the Sri Lankan and the other language that they speak there, Tamil, the characters are so intricate. I mean, it makes what we all might think of like Chinese characters look like play school. I'm telling you, these characters are so intricate. Every character is like a little piece of art. And so these, and these kids, I mean, my maid, my driver, they all had perfect handwriting. It's something about the culture there where they raise these kids in the school system to write impeccably. So now you've got (laughs) Owen in at
0: four years old. He must've at least got in at the foundation level because he was four when he- I
1: hope so. Owen went to an American preschool. He didn't get into the, the school that my daughter was in. They didn't have room for him. So by the time for him, by the time he was ready to start school, I moved him from a preschool that was more or less what you might see in the United States to a school that followed the Singapore curriculum. And, but then it was locked down and then it was all virtual. So I would say he had about six months of, of kindergarten called year one there and his real schooling started here a year ago. That's how I, I feel when we moved here to London. Yeah. So now, he had an introduction.
0: It, I guess that's a good thing that it was kind of based on a British, um, education system because now you're in London. So, how perfect funny? is that?
1: Well, what's ironic about that is after our experience with Caitlin and the British school system, I decided I did not want my kids going to a British school. <laughs> so, they don't go to a British school. Oh, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, they go they're to an like, international school that I've like been it. there, I done
0: think that. I, I find some
1: it We'll do something different. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So anyway, I do want to circle back because um, obviously adaptability was a key element of this experience. But what what else has changed for you? How have you changed? No.
1: How have I not changed? I mean, I can't even imagine living in the United States right now. I think repatriation is going to be really tricky when we do go back, whenever that's yeah. going to be. Um, I. I wouldn't have said I was particularly outgoing. I have learned to be, and I've put myself in enough situations where I've got to be the first person to say hello and introduce myself and ask someone to for a coffee date, or do you want to get the kids together? Because my family has moved so much domestically, but until I moved abroad, it was like sink or swim. If I was going to have this incredible experience for my family, it was on me to get out there and make friends and, um, build a social network and with a husband who was my, we went there for my husband's career. So he's working every day and I'm the one that can go to the international expat association meeting and hang out at the school and chat with the other parents that are there at drop off and, um, finagle our way into the. American embassy, Halloween party and connected some family there. It's like, so that, that was, I and mean, I did that with, I had such a mission to build a social circle for ourselves.
0: I'm so amazed by you. Thanks. I'm so amazed by you, <laughs> Melissa, because you know, also we forget that there's also, um, different cultural standards and protocols that uh, people follow, like mm-hmm. you're so outgoing and you're so easy to talk to, but I would think, and I don't know, cause I don't live in London, but are people more reserved there? So how is that received?
1: They are, I think as Americans, we have this idea that British people are, you know, stiff upper lip and, um, maybe standoffish, but what it is, is they're incredibly private people. And, I'm so glad my kids go to an international school. There's very few British families at our school. It's mostly expat families like myself, like our family. And so that's been, it's been a great way to build a social circle here because it's so true. British people are very private. And I, I'm thinking of this incident. So I live in a, in a row house. Our houses are right next to each other. So our front doors are right next to each other. All of us share walls brand new in the neighborhood. I'm entering my house. My next door neighbor is leaving his house. I'm like, well, look at that. I'm like, hi, good morning. He looked at me like, oh, oh my God, got right out of there. I could not <laughs> believe it. I'm like, I'm not breaking in. I'm your next door neighbor. What, what a weirdo. Okay. So I thought that was kind of weird. And then I found myself introducing myself to neighbors and I'd say, oh, I'm Melissa. I just moved in up the street. And they'd go, "Oh, okay, no one ever told me their name." I thought that was kind of weird. <laughs> and I end up reading this book called "Watching the English." And it's about English mannerisms, not British, specifically English mannerisms, and how private they are, and how uncouth they think Americans are. <laughs> so I'm realizing all these social gas I've been making. You would never, ever introduce yourself or ask someone their name. Their name is so private. What in fact, a line in the book said, don't <laughs> expect to learn someone's name unless you're marrying into the family. What? I mean, private, that is how private people oh are. My God. And the house in particular is such a personal domain. Oh you goodness. would never think to approach someone at their house, let alone Tell people where you live. And so for me saying hello to my neighbor, I'm thinking I'm neighborly and friendly. They're thinking crazy American, how rude. And so (laughs) we, we think they're rude. They think we're rude. I mean, isn't that crazy? And the only place all this goes out the window in the bars, in the bars, people are not English at all. They are friendly and outgoing and talkative. And it's like the only place where it would be appropriate to have a conversation with someone that you don't even know. And now this is not everybody. And of course there's outliers in every situation. And thankfully I live in London. I'm not in
0: like the outskirts, the countryside (laughs) or something.
1: I'm in London where there are so many foreigners. And so it hasn't been a problem like trying to break in. Um, Although I will say that our friends are not English. They're, they're other foreigners here, but the English are not rude. They are just intensely private. And that's my experience.
0: Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, very see even if you
1: see, you know, if you see like someone with a cute dog or like a baby and you like, like, smile at them or like wave at the kid or like, oh, cute dog, they don't want any of that. You don't, it's so rude. Don't, so it's like, you don't, don't are,
0: no one exists. You are yes. in your world and they're in theirs and do it's not. Personal, it's
1: like personal space. And now when I pass people, like when I'll go jogging, I pass people. I have to tell myself, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact. like Because it's natural for me to go like, good morning. Like I might nod. Are you or saying like don't that. look up someone, in your head? You're don't, like, don't make eye contact. Don't, don't make eye contact. Don't. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. Oh it my gosh, so Melissa, weird. that
0: was to be so challenging because you are so outgoing and friendly. Uh, and how I was know, it I for the kids? Don't because aren't kids naturally like wanting to go play on the playground with other kids? And- yeah, I feel like it's different
1: with kids, but I even find I feel like British kids are even guarded because they're that's how they're being brought up. I feel like they're they're a little more yes, your a kids little are less like going, right?
0: Owen likes to play and he's pretty
1: active. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Caitlin's probably more savvy because she's older. She's older now. I feel like it's gosh, now I mean I've only been
1: here a year. So I can't speak for all of the the kids here, I'm guessing that because most of them go to British school, that they're being programmed at an early age to, you know, be seen and not heard that's. And so they grow up that way. Now I'm sure things are changing and you know, that's the way of the world, but I do feel like my kids are probably a little more out there than the typical British kid. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs>
0: Well everything's a growing experience, right? Yeah. It's like you take you take it all in and you assimilate and you adapt and you grow. And I think just to be able to have given that to your children, they really are going to be citizens of the world wherever they land. Like, I don't think they'll go into any experience and not be able to adapt because of the foundation you gave them um, through living abroad. But tell me a little bit more. I'm curious about light, light year leadership. What inspired you? Tell me what it is, because um, most people don't know, and how that's impacted your life. Oh. Lightyear,
1: um, was something I was introduced to as a student at big power yoga in Houston Mm -hmm. and the leadership over there have been through lightyear trainings and they just infused them in their teaching and in the programs that they held at big power yoga. And I just was so involved with that community just as a, as a customer, by the way, not as like a yoga teacher or anything, Um, just as a customer, I loved, loved going to big power yoga. I still miss it. Thankfully you can do big at home now virtually, but anyway, Mm -hmm. so they would offer programs that, um, I learned later were, uh, teachings from Lightyear leadership. And so fast forward several years, I'm living in Sri Lanka, haven't lived in Houston and and several different moves by then, but still in contact with people in the community on social media and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So I see that light year leadership is offering a coach's training. And by then I'd been in Sri Lanka for about a year and a half. And my Herbalife business had gone completely on the back burner because I couldn't access the Herbalife nutrition products in Sri Lanka. They're not distributed there. And so I had done my own coaching group. I just started on Facebook, a free women's coaching group. And I realized right away, these women were looking for coaching that I didn't have. And so I did a life coaching certification on my own through another organization and I wanted more. And so when I saw that Lightyear was offering this coaching a year long coaching certification program, we had just gone on lockdown. So I had 24 hours a day in my apartment to do anything I wanted. Right. I thought this is perfect timing. Yeah. And it really was perfect timing because it was at three 30 in the morning and nine 30 at night for me. And so I did, I did all the coaching before my kids got up. And then after they'd already gone to bed, it was so intense, but I did it and it just improved my coaching skills so much. And it gave me so much more confidence when I'm interacting with my clients to help them understand their programming and disempowering beliefs and have breakthroughs and see where they want to go. And Lightyear has a really unique approach to goal setting that I love. And, um, so that's been just another tool in my coaching tool belt to feel empowered as a coach and know that I have a lot to offer a client and yeah, I would. So then I built this free women's coaching group that I had. I called it the trophies and it was a life coaching group for women. And a lot of us were talking about a lot of the women in the group were talking about their relationships. They they wanted to improve their marriages. No, they married the right guy, but maybe they were in a rut or. They were thinking about separation or maybe even divorce, just what I felt like was women didn't know how to ask for what they wanted and didn't have realistic expectations of what marriage might look like and were putting all the blame on their partners. And so because of the conversations that were happening in my life coaching group, I knew that if I put out a marriage course, these women would buy it. And so I put together a a course, it was called it's called husband rehab. It's not about changing your husband. It's about changing yourself. Right. And I only sold it in the beginning to these women in my trophies life coaching group. And they were the first women to go through. They gave me great feedback. I had a ton of fun with the group. And then I made a few changes. I re-recorded the whole course and then I launched it, um, to the masses. And then now it lives on Udemy, which is a, you might know is a, course site and there's a bazillion courses on Udemy. Anyone can um sign up and take them. So if anyone's interested in the husband rehab now it's on awesome. Udemy. And yes, yeah, so it was like a fun little chapter of my life. And then I I thought that going back to a place where herbalife was here in when we found out we were moving one year ago to the UK, I knew that I could access herbalife in the UK. And I thought I would jump in all 10 toes and get right back to building my Herbalife business. I didn't realize how different I would be. I'm
0: a different person. You know, the, I, I think the thing is we forget that we're constantly evolving. Yeah. And are. so to, to be in the flow and just accept our growth and shifts and changes, it helps to understand that what was a passion of ours 10 years ago, you know, that was thousands of versions of us ago. We're not even that person anymore. I know. You know, we yeah. keep shifting and evolving. And I think a lot of people who don't have the mindset of evolution and change and growth, um, the people who need to constantly cling to safety and comfort. Mm-hmm. Those are the people who start to feel really uncomfortable with where they are in their life. And they can't figure it out. They can't figure it out. But they keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over. And, you know, that's kind of like your soul calling to you, like, let's break out. Let's try something <laughs> new. Let's move. Let's change careers. Let's, let's be bold and brave, you know? Yeah. Even and- as like, a kid, you think of like,
1: older people as being like so stodgy and stuck in their ways and don't they get it? Like that's, that's us. Like if we're getting stodgy and stuck in our ways and resistant to change and in my
0: day. and Exactly. Like if we aren't open to personal growth, mm-hmm. um, I think, at, and maybe some people know they need to change, but they just don't know how. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, you're stuck in a rut and you don't know how, well, that's why Melissa and I do the work that we do. That's right. <laughs> Come see us. We will help you shift and break yeah. out of those patterns and challenge yourself to grow and evolve and release, um, maybe outdated programming that you've been mm-hmm. cycling through over and over for decades. You know, it's time, this is really a pivotal time of change for humanity.
1: Mm-hmm. I, th- yeah. And, and what worked 10 years
0: ago or five years ago,
1: it's obsolete. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's obsolete. One of my friends uses example of the iPhone. I think the iPhone was released in like, I don't know, the early 2000, like 2004 or five or something like that. And the iPhone was so revolutionary. People spent the night to get in line to buy the iPhone. Imagine if, Apple was still selling the iPhone one. <laughs> okay. It's not revolutionary anymore and it doesn't even work. And it's, it's so absurd. outdated, right? Yeah. It's like, we always have to be getting better. You have
0: to constantly update the software.
1: Yes. Exactly. You have to delete all
0: programming and you have to yeah. program how you think, how you act, mm-hmm. what you are inviting into your life. Mm. And people don't realize that it's up to us. Each individual, it's up to us to do something different and make a change and expand and grow or remain the same. And it's a choice. So if mm-hmm. you are choosing to remain the same, don't complain about it. Mm-hmm. You're making a choice to stay there. You're making a choice to stay in that unhealthy marriage, or you're making a choice to stay in a toxic work environment. Those are choices. Yeah. We always mm-hmm. have choices and there's always solutions. Yeah. You're never a prisoner of your own life. Mm-hmm. You're a master of your life, right? Yeah. So, Absolutely. I don't know where the time went. <laughs> I'm just like blowing through. And I feel like I have so much to ask you. But I, I would like to ask you one specific question and is, if you could share um, some of the tools that you've used to overcome all of this adversity that has been thrown your way, what would you say the three tools are that helped you the most navigate, um, all of the challenges that you've been through.
1: Mm. I'm definitely thinking about my daily quiet time. I have daily quiet time every morning. I make myself get up early. I'm not a morning person. I hate doing it. I'm mad when my alarm goes off, just like everyone else. (laughs) But I know that if I don't do it, then the day gets away from me. And then I start the day behind eight ball and would be dodging arrows all morning. So I make myself get up early. So I have a jump on the day and I have my quiet time, my me time, I get centered and focus and I do a little meditation and I journal. And, um, sometimes if I have a little extra time, I'll read, um, right now I'm reading this book called God winks. Have you heard of him?
0: I have, ah, I haven't so read it. But I read good things.
1: It's a quick read, but, um, it's like the perfect morning inspirational book. So Having that time in the morning has been critical. It's like I got to protect my space. And then the kids get up and they're cranky and they need to be fed. And I got to make lunches or I'm going to sit down and do a day of virtual school like it was doing in 2020. And if I didn't have that me time in the morning, I would have been mean mommy all day long. (laughs) But we are, especially women, we are pouring out into others all day long. And so if we don't fill our cup in the morning, we're just pouring from an empty cup. And so that was, that's probably number one answer for your question, protecting that me time. It's probably my favorite part of the day. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just sacred. 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 It's sacred. Yeah. And then I'm going to say health and fitness, although it sounds kind of cliche, but I really think that's important. I'm, I eat healthy 80% of the time. And then I move my body and I, I don't do like high intensity stuff. I'm not like killing myself at the gym, but I'm moving my body. And in 2020, when we were on lockdown, I started walking around the perimeter of our apartment building and then down into the parking garage to get 10,000 steps in. Cause I, I realized I was not moving my body at all. It was the first time I've ever paid attention to how many steps I walked and I've kept it up since then. So now I in London it's so easy because we don't even have a car in the city so walkable so now i walk everywhere yesterday i did over 20,000 steps oh my god no problem oh my god it's easy it's oh, easy Lisa. i know but it's wow. easy i don't think about it i don't have to like wonder if i'm going to hit 10,000 it's just part of life here yeah but i would say moving my body and then feeding my feeding myself healthy food it's like that's how you're going to a lot of people don't do well because they don't feel well and then so many times we don't even realize how bad we feel until we start feeling really good and so just figuring out the health and fitness part. That's been a part of my lifestyle now for
0: so long. About they always say years. you are what you eat. <laughs> yeah. So you do have to pay attention to what you're putting in, not yeah. only just nutrition wise, but also what are you inviting in? You know, for me, it's all energy. What are you inviting in? What kind of media are you watching? Mm-hmm. That's, probably watching the That's probably the third thing. watching fear-based yeah. 24-7? And like then, protecting feeling
1: what your mind is
0: getting. Yeah, you're yeah. absorbing that, and then believing that, and then l- making life decisions based on those beliefs because you're yeah. literally being programmed. You got CNN, mm-hmm. Fox News on all the time. Um, you know, you are being programmed. Yeah, subconsciously towards fear yeah. and separation. You know, all those things you talked about. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not only mindful about what I put into my body, but also my mind, my friend Mm -hmm. circle, the energy Mm -hmm. that I surround myself in only is in alignment with who I am, what my values are, where I want to go in life. They support me. They don't Mm -hmm. defeat me or deplete me. Right. Yeah. And I don't think people realize that, that we are impacted by our friend circle, our families. A Mm. lot of people are in toxic families, but they keep going in and getting burned constantly upset, triggered. It's like, stop going back in, step back, hang up.
1: (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. Last fall I got off social media and I just, all I did was delete Facebook and Instagram from my phone. I still have the accounts. Um, And that was, I didn't do that in 2020. I should have in 2020. I got so, uh, so, uh, sucked in, I don't know, caught up, sucked in Mm -hmm. in the, what was happening politically back in the United States. And it made me so upset. I mean, not sleeping. I was so upset. I was upset because I wasn't there. I was upset because people didn't get it. I was upset because I was reading the news. that was telling me I should be upset, you know, all of it. And it took me until a year later to Realize what I needed to do was not read the news. (laughs) Of course, where I get my news is from social media, right? And And
0: exactly, that's exactly what we're talking about, right? It really can impact your state of mind, your well being, your inner peace. I'm all about inner peace. You're gonna mess with my my wah, my key, my chi, yeah, life force, my energy. It's a no, totally, totally. It's just a hard no.
1: Yesterday I was making dinner. It was like Sunday night. We're winding down, and the kids are just bickering. I'm like, "Get out of my kitchen!" I'm like, "I got the crown on. (laughs) I'm making dinner." You guys are just like, "You're messing it all up for me. Just
0: go bicker upstairs. Work out. Take it out. Take it outside."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the, the social media thing is, I'm still not reconciled because with this intention I have for goal coaching gosh, everyone builds their business online right now. Can I do it without social media? I don't know. And so, um, I'm just not sure how I'm going to really have a relationship with social media, but because you my daughter frame it
0: there. and yeah. access it the way you want to, like you can create your group and have people access in and you go right there. It's a choice to be scrolling, right? Yeah. You can just focus on your platform and your, content. Oh my gosh.
1: You need to trademark that scrolling is a choice.
0: <laughs> scrolling Hashtag. is a choice. Hashtag. Hashtag. Scrolling Hashtag is a choice. <laughs> yeah.
1: Anyway. I do like not, not being on social media though, but I still have my accounts and I, I post um, anyway, very, very rarely, but. Yeah.
0: I know I do. I do love your posts and I do miss following you because you used to document everything and I felt like I, know. I was on the know. ride with you, but I bet uh, you okay. find you're more present too, because you're not actually taking a picture to post. You're actually in the moment. Yeah. You're actually fully.
1: Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. Even at Christmas this year, usually when I'm home, I was with my in-laws and then with my parents and usually I'm just photographing the whole time. And it was so different this year, just not even having my phone near me because
0: I didn't feel like I had to capture it all. And yeah. Well, I think we're always, I need the happy medium. I love that you're moving in new directions. You're in service to people. Where can people find you? Well, I have an Instagram account,
1: <laughs> although I don't post on it. It's Melissa underscore McLeod, but I do love Instagram stories. And so you can find me on Instagram. Um, my website is melissamccloud.co. Melissa McLeod is M-C-C-L-O-U-D. McLeod is not spelled like the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> Melissa dot co. And my email is heygirl at melissamccloud.co.
0: I love it. Hey, girl. Let <laughs> me remember that. Hey, girl. Well, I sure hey. miss Melissa. Thank you so much. For oh, thank you, Wendy. Today. My it's, pleasure. Um, early for me. It's late for you. Your day's winding down. You're about to go pick up kids, but uh, it's been such a pleasure catching up, talking to thank you me. and to my audience. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope wherever you are, you're having a beautiful day. Love yourselves and we'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.